0: It's 2019
1: and we're still having this conversation (laughs) and that's actually the craziest part about it, but actually taking time (laughs) to craft out a, you know, a decent response by taking an understanding lead before I just go hit a template button.
0: Hello again, and welcome to the Strategy with Jason podcast, your mobile podcast for all things automotive strategy. Today, Jason is chatting with Carrie Wise. They'll be discussing how to illustrate your perceived value to the customer, and how to prove your value as a vendor to your clients. Tune in to watch all the great details. And
1: now, your host, Jason Harris. Hey, what's going on, guys? Jason Harris here with Digital Dealership Solutions. Hey, thanks for joining us on another episode of Strategy with Jason. Today, guys, I have Carrie, Vice President of True Cars. Thank you, Carrie, so much for taking the time to come jam with me.
0: No problem. Thanks for having me. Hey,
1: for everybody out there that's listening and watching right now, if you can kind of give us maybe that two-minute origin story that is Carrie. Yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So I've been working in the auto business for twenty years now, um, in different capacities. I I started actually and just kind of fell into it. I worked. JD Power and Associates. A lot of us did that, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. I was in, I was in marketing research. Um, but at a company that focused on the automotive industry, JD Power and Associates. Yeah. I worked with a lot of OEMs at that time. And it's really where I kind of got my feet into the automotive consumer, probably more than anything. I was working nice. with OEMs, a lot of OEMs on the automotive consumer, and in particular automotive retail consumer. So
1: trying to understand the consumer, the yes, path to purchase. What and makes them tick, yeah. their
0: path to purchase, um, why certain dealerships are able to close a customer and why they, they lose a the customer to another dealership. Yeah. And so kind of through that work over, I was with them for 12 years. Over the yeah. years, I actually then started working with dealerships because we had an auto retail consulting division. Yeah. So it kind of took those insights and took it up an, an, uh, to the next step, which was like mystery shopping the dealership's process, the oh, need with cool. the general manager to kind of help them understand what yeah. was happening in their store. Better their and process,
1: better their operations. Absolutely, because nice. there
0: was things that would be happening like, you know, we'd ask questions of management, like, how, how often does a test drive? get offered to the consumer, it'd be like 100% of the time. Yeah. Then we'd like mystery shop, or we'd actually even have video mystery shopping in some cases, or consumers very would walk cool. in the store and actually go to the presses, and, and that didn't happen 100% of the time. No, and so no. there were things like that. And so that's kind of where I really got involved with dealerships, It's just kind of like that process of helping them in some ways interpret the automotive consumer, yes. which is very confusing at times. And the data understand. that you were collecting at the
1: time, right? It's like, Absolutely. okay, so here's the analytics, here's the data, but what the hell do we actually do What do we this? do
0: about it? And and, and so that, that was part of of it. And then I moved on to Edmunds.com and that brought me into more of the tech side of it. Very cool. Um, and so now we're, I'm watching consumers that are actually going to a website, millions of consumers that are Very shopping. Cool. Um, and so I was involved in more of the dealer insights and helping our dealers understand their performance on Edmonds, which yes. is kind of a departure from the research side. And then I, I eventually overtook sales training and dealer training while I was at Edmunds.com. Wow. So um, training our internal field staff and then eventually leading a team that went into stores and trained them on edmonds.com. And last I ended up at TrueCar. <laughs> last oh, So that was, um, I've been with TrueCar for the last four years. I was hired as their head of dealer relations, which was an interesting position at a time when we weren't particularly loved. <laughs> and so. We uh, a great
1: time to come on oh, board. Oh, <laughs>
0: great time. So there's a lot of opportunity, but um, I'm happy to say since I joined, we definitely have turned things around to be yeah. a lot more neutral in the industry. And since I joined, I, we probably added 6,000 dealers um, um, from the point I, I joined the company. So it's awesome. not all me, but all you, I'm but glad to be a part of it. That's very cool.
1: <laughs> well, you know what, uh, we're at the Rockstar Automotive Conference right now in Las Vegas, Nevada. You 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 got on stage yesterday and you just totally brought it home. I Thank mean, you. I was just I was in there just like you know, yeah, I was like <laughs> this is great. So, you know what, for everyone out there that did you get an opportunity to come to the Rockstar Auto Conference and you can give us a little bit about what you were pres- presenting yesterday?
0: Yeah, so um, in the end my topic related to trust and I think that the the title was Turning Skeptics into Believers, which yeah. is something I know a lot about coming <laughs> over to Drewcar. <laughs> yeah. Um and it, and so really um, I consider trust the elephant in the show room, as, as what I talked about yesterday. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things that's kind of an uncomfortable thing to talk about with dealers, because you, you, I certainly don't want to be negative and just kind of bring up that, oh, consumers distrust you, but there certainly is a trust gap between consumers and dealers. Well, there's a stereotype. There's like, a stereotype, look, there's that's all, stereotype that's existed, and it's, it's, it's from um, some of the sins in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would also say that it's, it's sometimes validated by current things that happen today, whether it's the dealer really knowing it's perceived that way or not. Yes. And I think in most cases, it's not someone being dishonest or trying to. Not intentionally. But it's not intentionally. Which
1: is kind of a lack of transparency is that's what's creating it.
0: Yes. It could also just be our typical processes like, uh, consistency of information. So mm-hmm. consumers see something on the site, they talk to someone in the store, there's a difference. This person's not lying, but they don't realize that the consumer saw this kind of information <laughs> on the dealership website. Yeah. So it's just about connecting those dots a lot of times, and from a consumer standpoint, because they're coming in with that chip on their shoulder, right, from whatever experience they had in the past, every time we trip, in any minor way, it just kind of feeds into, okay, I can't trust this dealership. So I talked about that, and I think there were three things I really talked about. I talked about understanding where consumers mm-hmm. are coming from. That's what I love to do. Is like, let me share some of this insight. Not insight just on from a research standpoint, but we track a lot of consumers. We have eight million consumers that come every month.
1: You have you have so much behavioral data yes. at your fingertips. So let's let's talk a little yeah. bit about that then.
0: Let's understanding the consumer. So I think you know when I when I speak to Dealers, a lot of times there's frustration yeah. with the consumer. Right. You, we all heard the, the term <laughs> buyers are liars, right? Yeah. And there's frustration because in some ways, you know, dealers will say, hey, consumers play as many games as we do, or they're <laughs> the ones that want to negotiate. And so I think it's it's important to kind of unpack that. And what I wanted to show is um, from our research, of researching consumers or watching consumers, these are the perceptions they have. And mm-hmm. we need to understand that whether it's true or not, their perception is that there's some disconnects in the process. Between what happens online and what happens in the showroom,
1: and I think that's absolutely key. What dealerships have to understand that it is perception. Yeah, you know, look, if you guys don't like the perception that your customers have of you, then then you need to come up with a strategy to change that perception. Absolutely, it's not their fault that they have that perception. That is just. What they've been able that's what how they've been able to formulate a perception based on the information that's in front of them.
0: Transparency's another one, you know, it's such a hot buzzword that you know, everyone talks about transparency I know, now. I know. It's like I think it's widely accepted as like a must. Yes. But what does that look like? Yes. And I think that's really the tough part. It's such a broad thing. And, and so I think consumers, for example, when a salesperson goes back and forth to the desk and they're mm-hmm. getting pricing approval or whatever, like the perception of that <laughs> from a consumer is. I'm getting screwed over, right? They're trying to figure out a way. And so there's just things like that, that even from a communication, we can make sure the consumer understands what's really happening here. Because otherwise I'm just feeding into my own, okay, they're going back there to try to figure out how to get me to pay pay more money. I talked about the issue of consumers wanting validation. You know, there's this talk about transparency, but you could be really upfront, but if you don't make the consumer feel like they're getting a fair price, it doesn't matter whether you give them the lowest price. They have no benchmark to understand that this is a great price. So I think that whole explanation of pricing and the benchmarks in some cases of helping the consumer understand how this compares to the market. I just want to make sure that I'm not paying more than my next door neighbor.
1: Exactly. I want want to feel comfortable. I I want to feel like, you know, that I'm trusting the information that's coming back to it. And I find in dealerships, it's these these mountains and valleys in our processes, these these highs and these lows, these ups and the downs. And that seems to be causing that lack of transparency because, you know, one minute we're doing this and then oh, we're all the way back down. Yeah. And it's like, it, it, it blows my mind that we're still, but we want to change, but we're, we're not doing it. We're saying it. Yes. You know, I mean, there are a lot of dealerships out there going, "No, oh, man, I want to change, I want to change. And then someone comes in to buy a car. They fill out a piece of paper, to your point. You know, the salesperson disappears into an office for 10 minutes no clue what the hell is they going on back there. Then they come back with their, depending on the dealership, handwritten Numbers <laughs> all right. With in, in, in handwriting it may not even be legible in the first place, right? And and as consumers we're just expected to take that this is the is this is right, this is correct, like this right. is honest.
0: <laughs> yeah, and, and, and the other part of it, I think, is that you know we have our 10-step sales process that everybody was trained on, yeah, oh and yeah. how you bring the consumer through the process. The problem now is that the online consumer could be on step four of that, that ah, process, good point. and so we want to start them over on step one, and, and if you think about it, we would never treat a showroom consumer like that. If the yeah. consumer in the showroom was on step four, we would take it from there. But an online consumer, we kind of assume that they don't have the information that okay. they have. And so I I see it a lot, particularly on a, a site like TrueCar, where a consumer is spending um, 15 steps before they submit a lead, 20 <laughs> minutes online. They're coming in with a price certificate. Mm-hmm. They have a dealer they've already selected. And if they're dealing with an Internet person that doesn't realize that, it could all go wrong.
1: Yes, very because quick. Because
0: that, that salesperson <laughs> is going to start asking them, what, what car are you interested in? And uh, what is your budget? And they're like, wait a minute! I already, it just causes everything to kind of blow up from there. And so I think I think of it. And yesterday I talked about the whole the gas stations. You got the full service and the self service gas station. Yep. And we almost have to think of consumers in that way. There's going to be consumers that are self service consumers. Yep. They want. They have all the information. They got it at home and we kind of have to pick the deal up where they left off. And then you have the full service consumers, not a lot of them, but hey, I'll pay more money, but I don't want to do a thing. Bring me the paperwork, <laughs> let me test drive the car at my home or my work, like do everything for me to make it convenient. So, yes. so we talked about understanding, because that's the first part in overcoming trust, is we got to understand and empathize with their pain points. Key
1: word is being empathetic, empathetic. right? I mean, we, we have to be empathetic to these yes. customers and their time, and be respectful of their time. I mean, They didn't just walk in the door and like, "Ah, yeah, you know what, it's a Tuesday, I think I need a new car. Yeah. You know, there's so much time. They're going to nine
0: websites in their shopping process, according to J.D. Power. They're spending weeks and weeks of research and time, whether it be on the third parties, on the dealership's website, on the OEM's website, so they're putting a lot of time and I think we need to overcome the distrust by having complete empathy. For them in terms of like the pain points that they experience yes. in buying a car. The second thing I talked about is we have to communicate our differences and I think this is another huge opportunity for our mm-hmm. industry. When I work with dealers, one of the things I typically will ask them is, what makes your Chrysler dealer different than the Chrysler dealer down the street? Yes. Because particularly on the new car side, that car is the same.
1: Yeah, and the Kay? payment's going to be within dollars of each other, yeah. I mean, there has to be. There's got to be more to the story than just the product and the price.
0: Absolutely. So when when you think about it, sometimes we get frustrated that the consumer is so focused on price, right? (laughs) We're like, hey, I deserve to make a profit. Yes, you deserve to make a profit. But the most profitable companies we know out there, the companies that we overspend on, like a Starbucks or a Nordstrom's or these major organizations, the way they achieve that is by having unique value that separates them from everybody else. And so I I talked a lot about that, and one of the most interesting pieces of research I've ever been a part of was when we asked consumers why they selected a dealership Mm -hmm. and how unique it was in terms of the messaging. In other words, was it something they heard, they saw on every billboard, every dealership website, It's something they bragged about, every dealer bragged about, versus something that they only heard from a few dealers. And so it was just interesting to see things that we typically hear in the industry as like our, our messaging, for example, having the largest inventory in town, right? Being the family number owned? one family-owned dealership, <laughs> being the number one Ford dealership in the region. Okay, though there's nothing wrong with those three messages. We just have to understand, and the research showed that the consumers didn't think of those as unique.
1: Well, there's not perceived value in to the consumer, right? I mean, look, you know, at, at one point in time. You know, being a family-owned business, you know, there was some perceived value to that. You know, it was just big box retailers, you know, just typically didn't have the same service as you got at a smaller ma and pa. But now it's actually the polar opposite. I mean, look at, you know, Amazon, largest retailer in the
0: entire world. The service is Phenomenal. Amazing, just absolutely amazing and you don't know anybody from amazon no all, that's a, right that's, that's a like thing, and you're right? right that's a really good point point. and i think the the newer generations you know I, I always remember how old i am when i talk to someone young <laughs> i'm 42 i'm not that old i'm gen x but you know you'll mention some brand that you grew up with and you'll think of that like oh like you'll just assume that they respect the brand and they're like no, I mean just yeah. even our social networks. I don't want to. I guess I like can name. I want to offend anybody, but you know, like I think of Facebook, and I'm like, yeah, that's cool. I'm on Facebook every day. And yeah. you know, newer generations like Facebook, right? That? So I think their You're respect on for <laughs> and TikTok, exactly. That's where my daughter's on. So it's like their respect for the the, the legacy brands aren't the same as as we had growing up or our parents had growing up. So we have to remember that. So there's nothing wrong with saying I'm a family-owned business, but it, we have to back that with what I call like the whiffum for the consumer. What's in it for me? Yeah. What what does that actually mean to me? yes does you know? that mean that you're going to give me customized service does that mean that uh, I'm gonna get in and out quicker it's gonna be more personal like whatever that means we have to translate that because a lot of times we stop at just those kind of like generic yes. messages um, and and so when we looked at the opportunity points it all tied back to the consumer pain points like the things that they thought were reasons to select a dealership and were very unique had to do with transparency of the price of the trade in values yep. it had to do with validation making me feel like I got something fair by explaining your methodology or benchmarks, um, low pressure environments, like uh, you're going to get, you there's know, value like those kind of, there's value in that. Having specific expertise in terms of salespeople, like mm-hmm. I'm a USAA member, we, we power USAA. Those members like to know that you are the USA representative there at the store. For sure. Right. So, so it's things like that. And I think what I showed yesterday was not just these themes, because it's not enough to say, hey, we're a low pressure, hassle-free store. We have to show it to. Yes, what does can't that mean? We can just see it. Yes. How, how are you going to prove it? So, you know, I, I showed some examples like... You know, one of the stores we work with, they have non-commissioned sales staff. Yes. I'm not recommending that, but since they have that, that is a way for them to show they're a low-pressure store. Yes. Because their people are not paid based on gross profit. Um, but for other other dealers, there's there's other ways to specifically show that. In the end, I recommend every dealer have a set of brand promises or mm, customer like promises. That. You know, when I came to TrueCar, how we started to turn things around by, was by rolling out what we call the dealer pledge. We had to literally make promises of things we were going to change at True Car. It had to be written. We put an automotive news ad. We put videos out. Well, because we had to, to you, you had to change it. the
1: perception. There was, there yes. was a perceived perception, and you didn't like it. No, right. Okay, but it just was what it was it was
0: what it was and we listened to dealers and they told us their frustrations and we made major changes but it wasn't no- enough to make them we actually had to moralize them in what we called yes. the pledge and i think every dealer when i walk in on your wall or on on your you know on your website there should be in my, my in my opinion these customer process, promises our commitment to you here's the five things we we believe that we should do for you we should save you time you should pay a fair price what, Whatever they might be, but they should be memorialized. And so that, that was the second thing I talked about is yeah. communicating value. And the third thing, which is the most important is to execute. Like it wasn't <laughs> enough is, for us to roll out important. the dealer pledge and have these fancy videos and automotive news ads and all of that. Like we actually had to show that we were actually making the changes. Mm-hmm. And so what we did every quarter is we did a update on the pledge to tell them, okay, those 10 things we promised. Hey, we just changed our price curve in the calculation. We just changed our... I thought that was so cool. Because you guys
1: documented. We
0: documented You know, and and, and
1: Instead of just saying it, you documented and literally showed it. Yes.
0: We had no field team when I joined. We now have 100. (laughs) Right? So those were the things that we changed. And I think from a dealership standpoint, um, we need to make those promises and then we have to actually execute Mm -hmm. on those promises. We have to, um, for example, one of the things I I talked about yesterday was the connection between online and offline. I think it's a huge Mm -hmm. opportunity. You know, one of the things that uh, is probably most important on Truecar or any third-party site is to read the lead. Mm -hmm. Like, I hate that I even have to say that because you're, I mean, someone's rolling their eyes at home and saying... It's
1: 2019 and we're still having this conversation. (laughs) I mean, that's actually the craziest part about it, but actually taking time to craft out a you know, a decent response by digging an understanding lead before I just go hit a template button. That's
0: exactly <laughs> it. And I think those that's the execution part of yes. it.